Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Revelation chapter 10. Let me go back and read to you the closing verses of chapter 9, just to bring you up to speed. Uh, Verses 20 to 21 say, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And those are the closing words of the sixth trumpet. So we are, we are very near the end of the story, sequentially speaking. The full number of the elect has been saved. No one is repenting. No one further is converting. And now the full fury of God stored up wrath and judgment is beginning to fall in a very targeted way. Just, just like, the, like several of the plagues in the Exodus fell only on the Egyptians while God's people were spared. So too, it seems, with these last plagues in the story of redemption. Revelation 9.4 told us, for example, that these plagues were targeting only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. All right, so, so we are very late in the story. We are, we are between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. We are, we are after the point where the full elect church has been redeemed and saved and called. And before we go any further in the story, we have another excursus, just like in chapter 7, when we had two excursuses between the sixth and seventh seal. So now we have chapter 10 between the sixth and seventh trumpet. All right, we'll read from uh, verses 1 all the way through uh, to verse 7. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now, some commentators have understood this angel as Jesus himself. And certainly, this is a most exalted angel. But I I don't think it works to think of this angel as Jesus. For one thing, I'm not aware of Jesus ever being referred to as an angel anywhere in the New Testament. 
For another, it would be completely at odds with the theology of Revelation for Jesus to swear by him who lives forever and ever as if he were not himself the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days. No, I... I just don't think it works at all to think of this angel as Jesus. Rather, we should understand him as some sort of archangel, a mighty angel, an angel high enough up in the heavenly hierarchy that it can be described in ways and using symbols that are normally associated with God. So we might say that this is an angel clothed in the power and majesty of God. And that he sets his feet upon the sea and the land indicates sovereign power and magisterial authority. That those legs are on fire indicates a readiness to dispose judgment or to dispense judgment. Fire is almost always a symbol of judgment in the Bible. That his voice is associated with the thunder of heaven is further evidence that he comes to declare judgment. Thunder, again, is associated with judgment. However, he immediately tells John not to write down what the thunders have said. And this would seem to mean that John heard things about God's climactic purposes of judgment that he was not permitted to share. Now, whether those things were just too awful to speak of or whether this is just a reminder that God is not obligated to tell us everything that we would like to know, we can't say for sure. But it should at least be a reminder to speak with humility when we speak about these things. We, we don't have all the puzzle pieces, right? That's what we're told here. There, there is content that is not given to us. There are puzzle pieces that remain in the pocket of God. And so clearly, it, you know, if, if you can put together an airtight scheme, if, if you, can, you can create a picture that's so airtight, when you don't have all the puzzle pieces, I think what that clearly means is you've done violence to some of the pieces that you have. No, I I think this is a reminder that we need to be humble, cautious, and chastened when we speak about these things. We see through a glass darkly, and we know only what we have been told, and we're told here that we haven't been told everything. Now, John is told that when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, there will be no more delay. Uh, I think the old King James rendered that, time shall be no more, which is poetic, but not very helpful. And it leads some people to think that there won't be time in the eternal kingdom. But eternity, or the eternal kingdom, is not the absence of time. It's an unlimited supply of time. It's, it's the complete, you know, infinity of time. Uh, so I don't, I, and that's not the right translation. None of the modern translations have it that way. The, the right translation is to say, there will be no more delay. Right? The seventh trumpet marks the end of the narrative, sequentially speaking. I mentioned that while these visions start at different places and they overlap to a great deal or a great extent, you can more or less stick a pin through them at the point of the second coming, at the at the right hand side, if we understand this as you know running from left to right through the frame. You can stick up they all end in basically the same point, right? Even if they begin in different points. This is the end. And John is told as much. The angel says, when the seventh angel blows the trumpet, there will be no more delay. That's the end. And of course, that lines up very well with what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The great end event, the second coming, which is the second bracket on the frame, right? That's the end of the picture. The second coming of Christ. That's the end. And we're very near to the end here. And so we're starting, it's almost like we're, we're starting to see some of the characters associated with that very, very, very last scene. We got the archangel, we got the trumpet, right? So that's where we are in the story. And it, it, it seems to line up. John is told that when that happens, he's told by the angel, when the, when the seventh trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel sounds, right? That's the end. That's, you've bumped up against the frame at that point. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is obviously just a prose version of the seventh trumpet. So these passages go together in a sense. This, this is the moment, as the old hymns say, when our faith becomes sight. The, the angel says that at this very moment, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. All that was hidden in plain sight, all that was promised and only partially understood, all that has been won by Christ and kept for us in the heavenlies, all of that which we have held onto in faith will at this moment be sight. We will look on with our eyes and see the salvation of our God. Do you remember the verse from, it is well with my soul that reflected upon these very truths? It says, and Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. That's what we're talking about right here. Verse 8 goes on to say, Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Now, again, while this brings us to the very cusp of the end of the story, we are reminded that John has some more prophesying to do. That's the nature of progressive parallelism. You come to the end a couple times as you go over the same material. Now, scholars debate whether the scroll should be understood simply as the content of chapter 11 or chapters 11 to 14 or maybe something else. But either way, what we have here is the promise of further content, further unpacking, further light shed on God's purposes of wrath and judgment on the earth. Now, the content is sweet in the mouth because it is God's word, but it's heavy in the stomach because of its content. No one in this story, neither the angels in heaven nor John on the earth, no one in this story rejoices in the judgments that fall on the children of men. This is hard content. This is tragedy. And this is woe. But this is also the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at IntoTheWord.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. 
just type into the word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you for